0: We're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And I always, I count it a privilege uh, when I get the opportunity to communicate the word of God. Uh, but I always find that the passages that I've, I seem to get, they're things that I struggle with. And, and so as we work through this passage here, just know uh, I am not perfect at this. And it, it, when we, I'll, I'll just give you my title to begin, and you have it right there, The Why Behind Our Waiting. We're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 8, but I'm going to read Exodus thirteen seventeen to kind of set up the context here. And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God let that, or led them uh, not through the way of the land of the Philistines, uh, although that was near. Uh, for God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. Then our passage in Deuteronomy 8, uh, verse 2 And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee uh, and to know what was in thine heart, whether uh, thou wouldest keep these commandments or no. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna, which thou uh, knewest not, neither did thy fathers know uh, that ye might make thee known, that that man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Life is filled with unanswered questions that we have. You ever have some of those perplexing, unanswered questions? Some of them are a little humorous, like uh, why does glue, which is sticky, uh, not stick to the inside of the Elmer's glue bottle? I remember many experiments that I did as a grade school kid, and I can tell you that it doesn't. Uh, But for instance, another question is, uh, the classic Sunday school question, did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? Right? Did they have belly buttons? What color is a mirror? Where does a thought go when it's forgotten? Why do we drive on parkways but then uh, park on driveways? And of course, the question I know you're all wondering is, if a Smurf loses oxygen, what color does he turn? Right? The, The important questions of life. But probably, in all seriousness, the most perplexing question that many of us have is if a god in heaven has every intention of answering a request a very specific way why does he make us wait why do we have to wait for god the most this is often the most perplexing the most perplexing question that we can ask if god has the power to fix a situation eventually he is going to fix the situation why does he make us wait in the situation he's going to fix have you noticed how much of our life is spent waiting? Uh, whether it's the waiting room, whether it's uh, for a table in line, uh, for the light to change, for traffic—we life seems to be one constant waiting game. We wait, but the hardest ones are waiting for God to move in a circumstance, in a relationship, in a prayer. To alter a situation and if we're all honest we've all been in a situation where we're waiting on God to work and we're looking at God we're asking God the question why 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 does God at times make us wait in fact we see this example throughout the Bible with uh, many different characters Uh, Abraham all the way back at the beginning was told uh, to leave Ur of the Chaldees because he was going to be made a father of many uh, nations but it, would, it was gonna be years before he was told that he was gonna have a son, and then years later before he would actually see that son. Noah had a vision of an upcoming flood that would destroy the world, and so he began building an ark, yet it was 100 years before uh, that God's plan would be actualized and realized. Joseph, remember Joseph, the, the dream of the, the sheaves and his brother sheaves bowing before his sheave, and he d- decided to share that with all of his brothers. And uh, they sold him into slavery. And it would be 14 plus years before Joseph's dream vision would actually come to fruition. You think about David, he was anointed king as a teenager, right? And it wasn't until years later that he would actually ascend to the throne. What about Moses? He awaited God in the wilderness on the backside of a desert for 80 years before God's plan was played out in his life. Can we all agree that there are times that God makes us wait? And with that time of waiting, produces all sorts of questions in our mind. Like, God, this job situation, I'm really questioning it. Maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's singleness, maybe it's a wayward child, maybe it's an unsafe spouse, maybe it's a relative, maybe it's a sickness or an illness, but you look at that situation that you're in, you're waiting for an answer from God and you're asking the question, why? And if we're all honest with ourselves, we've been there. We've been in the dead space of life where we're questioning what is God's plan in our life and the children of Israel. They're, leading Egypt, they're leaving Egypt heading for the promised land Canaan in Exodus 13, 17. It says this, and it came to pass when Pharaoh had led, uh, let the people go that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although it was near. Um, they, they didn't just not take the shortcut, right? The, the shortcut uh, would have been the more direct route, uh, to the Promised Land. The short route would have been a couple of weeks. Uh, they took the long, long route. Right? Have any of you ever been there? Right, where your GPS is just kind of taking you the long way around around the state. They waited forty years to enter the land of Canaan. And in our passage in Deuteronomy chapter eight, it doesn't tell us all of the reasons why God had them wait, but it really gives them a. It really gives us a glimpse into why God had the children of Israel wait, and maybe why. Some of the reasons God is having us wait. If you're like me, you really don't like waiting in line. I I specifically set up my day to streamline uh, my day through traffic or through visits that I need to make. I try to streamline the waiting process. And what I have found in life is that it's one thing to wait uh, in a waiting room by yourself, right? It's another thing to wait in a room with somebody else. But it's a completely different thing to wait in a waiting room with kids, right it almost becomes this game of like we got to keep the kids busy and entertained or else they're going to wreak havoc on this entire waiting room and it's 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 daunting task but i really didn't realize how daunting it is of a task until our first time through tsa with two kids and i was i was completely blindsided by this but it's like, you have people behind you. And I used to be one of those that would be frustrated uh, with the people in front of me that can't get through the line with their kids. And now, I, I gotta be honest with you, God has changed my heart. And I'm the most merciful person because I'm like, I, I'm gonna be there soon. And, I, but getting through that line, and I remember with every command, I would tell my daughter to do something. Take off your shoes, put your bag here, take this out of your bag, make sure you didn't bring any of the sharp objects in your bag. And she's asking me, Why? 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 And it's like, it's compounding the situation. And finally, I sat there and I'm like, like, I just kind of looked at her and I'm like, Emery, we want to make sure that we are safe when we get on this plane. These people right here that are doing all this stuff, they're doing this because they want us to be safe on this plane. That's all the explanation I provided for her. But in her mind, it was enough. And it's like she looked at those people at TSA even as frustrated as they were she now looked at them as their as her protectors because she understood what the waiting was for and I'm not saying that when we walk through these reasons that it's going to be like "Uh uh-huh God I see what you're doing here okay but sometimes it can give us a glimpse at the very least into the heart of our father The why behind our waiting. What do we see uh, exemplified here? The first point is to purify us. Why does God have us wait to to purify us? You see this in verse 2 of Deuteronomy chapter 8. And thou shalt remember all the ways which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee. Many times God will use these delays to purify and purge us of our pride of our self-reliance, of those things, of this tendency that we have to go and do it ourselves Like, that's the American way, isn't it? We, we don't need anybody. We're just going to go and do it ourselves. Can you imagine for a moment seeing the plagues of Egypt? Can you imagine seeing a God part the Red Sea? Can you imagine seeing the pillar of uh, fire and the cloud by day and seeing all of that manna from heaven and still thinking that it's about you? And still thinking that it's about all of what you can do and that it's about what you bring to the table. But how often do we see the miracles of God all around us? 200 people saved this past year. uh, Lives being changed and somehow we think in the midst of our waiting that it is about us. James says it this way, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. This pursuit of trying to satisfy self, it's an endless pursuit, he reminds us. It's only when we learn to humble ourselves and realize it's not about us, it's about depending upon him. God uses this season of delays to purify us from our self-reliance and to move us to a place of God-reliance. I believe it's why David wrote this in the Psalms, In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. Psalm 56.3, what time I am afraid I will trust in thee. Have you ever seen in your life that there are those moments where God has to bring you literally to the end of yourself before you'll finally turn back and see the God that you left? This whole time you've been motoring along trying to power through and do things your way and you reach the end of yourself and you're like, oh God, I left you all the way back there. God brings these seasons in our life to purify us of self and to move us to a place of God reliance. There are many times in our lives that we've jumped into a project or a situation and we're just going to plow right through only to hit the wall and finally realize we need to wholly depend upon God. God designs these waiting periods in our life to become more God-reliant and less self-reliant. Second Chronicles 15.4 reminds us of this, of the children of Israel. They, in their trouble, did turn unto the Lord, of, uh, Lord God of Israel and sought him. I'm reminded of Paul's thorn in the flesh. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, Paul said this, "...unless I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure." For this thing I, I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And when he, sa- he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. See, Paul learned to glory in the dead space. Paul learned to glory in his weakness because he knew that through his weakness, the power of Christ was being manifested and seen through him. He ends his statement with this in verse 10, For when I am weak, then am I strong. God didn't remove Paul's thorn in the flesh so that he could keep him close to the Lord. Have you thought about maybe the dead space in your life that God has called you to? Have you looked at it less of, What what do I have to do? Where do I need to jump to the next spot? Maybe God is using that dead space in your life to draw yourself closer to Him. Not only does God use use the waiting time in our life to purify us, but also to prove us. Verse 2 also says this, And thou shalt remember all of the ways which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years uh, in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee. To know what was in thine heart, is what he says there. He's, he's, ta- he's, he's testing them in this, in this minute. I, I, don't, I don't do many things well as far as from a cooking perspective. There are a few things, though, that I, do, that I do well. And the one thing I do pretty well is making chocolate chip cookies. I know Ryan, Pastor Ryan the baker, you weren't expecting that. Uh, but one of the things, I remember one of the first times I baked cookies with my kids and uh, they're, they're kind of, they want to taste all of the ingredients. So I have like seven spoons lined up, right? Because my, my son, Ollie, he likes to use the same spoon over and over again. If I don't babysit him, uh, he'll double dip his spoon. But they like to taste the ingredients as I put things in. And I remember they had this fascination with vanilla extract, right? With vanilla. They love vanilla everything, vanilla everything. I was like, I know you like vanilla, but this vanilla isn't good vanilla, And like, they're like, oh, dad, we love it. We love it. We love it. And it's like, so finally I put a little on a spoon, put a little on a spoon. And I remember giving it to him. And Emery took this, like grabbed the spoon out of her mouth and shoved it in her mouth. She tasted it. And immediately she spit out the spoon, threw it on the floor. Yuck. You better believe I knew what her reaction was going to be. I wanted to see, I wanted her to realize what her reaction would be. And it's in the midst of these, t- I often look at the tests of God. God is not surprised when he was testing the nation of Israel. He's like, oh, I wonder what their grade is going to be. He knew that those 40 years, there would be more failures than successes. But what is he proving in that moment? He is proving to everybody around. He is, it's almost like external evidence to the faith of the individual that's being tested. To purify, to prove. The same exact word that's used in Deuteronomy is used in Genesis 22 and verse 1. It's used the same uh, word here for prove or test concerning Abraham. Uh, That test, that proving of faith of Abraham is the same word that's used in there. He's proving. Sometimes God uses the waiting to test, to, to prove, to reveal the character of our faith. Not only does he purify or prove Another why is he prepares us. Look at verse 2 again. And thou shalt remember all of the ways uh, which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee and to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And he humbled them and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna which thou uh, knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make known, that he might make thee know That man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. God used these 40 years to prepare, uh, to prepare them in the principles of God. He says this, to make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord. Question, when were the Ten Commandments given? The Ten Commandments were given uh, during this 40-year time that God was using to prepare uh, them in the word of the Lord. God designs this dead space in our lives to purify us, to prove us, to prepare us. God uses the dead space to prepare us. That's the e- this is the easy part. The next part, I, I put together a list of uh, to-dos and, uh, for lack of a better word, to-don'ts. Right, you don't have to call them that. A don't list and a do list. We're going to go over the don'ts first. Uh, what are some of, When God calls us to that waiting period in our life, what are this, some of the things that we should avoid doing? The first one is don't fear. Don't fear. This is the first mistake the children of Israel seem to make over and over and over again. And what fear does in their lives is it, it paralyzes them. You remember uh, them not going into the promised land was a result of their... Fear. Uh, they got the report back from the, the 12 spies and they said, no, they're too big. Uh, we can't possibly take those giants. We're, we're afraid. Their, their fear called a, caused a spiritual paralysis in their life. The problem with fear is that it keeps you in the wilderness, it keeps you in the desert of life, it keeps you in this barren stage of uh, where you are in life. And how do you conquer your fear? You conquer your fear by moving forward. Moses gives the answer in the very next verse. He says this, The Lord your God which goeth before you, he shall fight for you according to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. Really simple. Focus on God, not on the problems. Focus on God and not your problems. Isaiah says it this way, Fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Fear keeps us from moving forward. Have you experienced that before? In the dead space of life, you're almost afraid to make a decision because you're afraid it's going to be the wrong decision. So what happens is you make no decision, which is the wrong decision. Fear. Don't fear. But secondly, don't fret. This is taking it a step uh, further, and don't worry. Don't get anxious. Don't get uptight. Don't stress out. Don't fret. Numbers 14, 1 through 4 tells us that, and all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night, and all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, would God that we had died in this wilderness, and where and wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword, uh, that our wives and our children should not be prey? Be a prey, were it, were it not better for us to return into Egypt, they worried, they fretted. There are other places in the Bible where the children of Israel are so anxious and they fret so much that they actually planned this a scheme to set up a captain that would lead them back to Egypt. Right? And, and hopefully the Egyptians would take us back. And have you ever noticed that in the midst of some of the worst decisions I have made in life have, become, have been because I made an impulsive decision out of, out of worry. When you become worried and anxious, you can become impulsive and, and do things and make decisions that you're looking back, you're like, why in the world did I ever do that? Focus on God, not Uh, the problems. This was where their theme uh, of every song, every step of the way, they worried, they fretted, they stressed out, they were anxious. How are we going to make it? How are we ever going to survive? Often when we get to this point, as I mentioned earlier, we try to begin to work things out on our own. Remember I mentioned Abraham earlier. Abraham, uh, Ur of the Chaldees, you're going to be the father of many nations. I'm going to make of you a great nation. Right, Abraham walking down the way. Right? Oh, gonna gonna give me a son. Great, great, God, thank you for the blessing. Years are passing, years are passing, years are passing. No son. Abraham's starting to get a little worried. I'm getting older. Sarai's getting older too. God, we gotta we gotta make something happen. And so what what happens? He makes a decision to take Hagar as a wife, to have a child, to have that child that God promised. God, you promised me a child, so I'm impulsively making this decision because I'm worried that you're not going to come through. And we still have calamity today in the Middle East because of one impulsive decision, because somebody was anxious. Can I, can I tell you, as somebody who has been in the waiting period of time in my life, I, I, this is often the first feeling that I feel. It's just the the hopelessness of anxiety, the hopelessness of the situation, and I get anxious and worried, and I feel like I need to do something. Next, not only don't fear, don't fret, but don't faint. Don't faint. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. In Numbers 20, verses 1 through 3. Then the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the desert of Zin in the first month, and the people abode in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. And there was no water for the congregation, and they gathered themselves against Moses and against Aaron, and against the people, uh, and the people chode with Moses, spake, saying, Would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord? They're giving up. It would have been better for us to die in Egypt than to die here. They were caving in, emotionally collapsing. Have you ever been there before? Have you been in a space where you're just ready to throw in the towel? You're like God. You know what? I I I don't know what else to do. I'm emotionally drained. I'm physically drained i just i i don't i'm at the end of my rope aren't you thankful that we have a savior that to the weak and broken says this come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest sometimes in those waiting spaces of life rest seems so elusive rest seems so elusive But what God calls us to do is to not faint. They had been in Egypt as slaves for 400 years, and now they have come. God has brought them this far, and they're willing to quit and give up. Instead of fainting, God calls them to be persistent. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, uh, we're commanded, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain." Don't fear, don't fret, don't faint, but don't forget. During these times of delays, we tend to forget. We tend to uh, forget what God has done in our past. All that we're focused on is the problem in our life, and we can't see that God has been with us in the past. He's going to be with us now, that God is with us in the present. He's going to be with us in the future. We forget about his power and the importance of walking with God. And the Bible reminds us over and over again, don't forget. Psalm 106, 7, uh, talking about the children of Israel, Our our fathers understood not uh, thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies. Israel, the journey of the Israelites and the problems of the Israelites really can be tracked uh, by their problems and issues with water. At the Red Sea, they, they had too much water, right? And so God parted it. At Mara, the water was bitter, so God sweetened the water. In the desert, they had no water, and again they had no water, so God provided them water. At the Jordan River, there was rushing water, so again God split it. And each and every time they had a water problem, God solved their water issue. God solved the problem that they were having, yet they so quickly forgot the goodness of God in their life. I've been there before. There are times where I'm, I'm dealing with a problem and somebody calls to mind, hey, didn't you have that struggle like those years before? How did God answer that prayer before? Well, he, he answered it the way, the, the way I, I thought it was. he was. Came, he came through and his provision was seen in my, in my life and it's like, what we're so quick to forget the goodness of God. We're so quick to forget all of those things, those, uh, all of the ways God has worked in our life like the children of Israel. 106, 13, uh, Psalm 106.13 says they forgot, they soon forgot his work. Deuteronomy 8.11-14, our passage says, Beware uh, that thou forget not the Lord thy God. In not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I commanded thee this day, down in verse fourteen, then thine heart he uh, be lifted up, and thou forgot forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of e- the uh, out of forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. David's advice. David frequently found himself in this these waiting periods of life. David had a lot of frequent waiting periods in his life, and he said this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Are there things in your life, those are the to don'ts, the don't list. But what about the the do list? Uh, The do list, so don't fear, don't fret, don't faint, don't forget. What should we do though? You've told me all the things not to do, okay? I got those down, right? But what do I need to do? You know, instead of fear, instead of fretting, be confident. Be confident not in your own abilities, but in in God's abilities. There is an author that has penned all of the things because God is in control. God is providentially weaving all of these circumstances uh, to, to be for our good. Look, look at, uh, one author says this, the wind, the rain, the lightning, the earthquakes, the tsunamis, the flight of the sparrows, the blooming of the lily, the, the hairs on your head, good kings, wicked kings, every roll of the dice, every outcome of battles, the placement of the billions of stars in the universe, your thoughts, my thoughts, angels and demons, even Satan himself is all under the hand of God. This doesn't just mean that God is the one acting in all of those things, just that he is orchestrating all of these things for the accomplishment of his purposes. I know what some of you might say, well, you know, I'm not so confident because it's not these external circumstances that have messed things up. I've been the one that's messed things up. And what I can say uh, to that is if you are surrendered to him, he uses, he uses even those things providentially in your life to accomplish his purposes, to be as part of a good work in your life. So be confident in that God. Secondly, be patient. Be patient. Sometimes, like Joseph, we don't see the resolution in our life until it's far off. Joseph was betrayed, and uh, when he saw, uh, it wasn't until the end of his life that he saw that all of those works in his life were ultimately for good. You think about all the Bible characters that we talked about: Joseph, David, Job, even Jesus and his disciples. Uh, be patient, but can I encourage you? Thirdly, be authentic. Be authentic. Sometimes it's easy to come to a church and to be in the waiting space of your life. And if you're family, if you're like me as uh, Pastor Ryan, there's something that happens when you get out of the car in the church parking lot. There's a a switch that flips, right? Uh, The frown that was on your face, the smile comes on. uh, The kids all of a sudden are are acting joyfully and are are ready to run into the, the auditorium to begin worship. And sometimes what we can do is we can have a more fake it until you make it type approach to the dead space that we experience in life. But I want to say that it's okay to tell God that you're hurting. It's okay to tell God that you don't understand. It's okay to tell God that maybe you're upset with an outcome in your life that you don't understand what he's doing in your life. Can I tell you that David did? Jeremiah did? Uh, the, you ever read the book of Lamentations? It's basically the three chapters of l- lamenting before God, and you're like, "Did a Christian write this?" And then it's like uh, three chapters of lamenting for God, And then uh, kind of sectioned right in the, between, there is the famous verse that you often see on precious moments, right Those little Christian figurines. "Your mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness." But it's okay to tell God that you're hurting. It's okay to tell God that you're upset. The Psalms record uh, some scorching laments and complaints. If you've ever read the book of Job, there are some times where I I read the book of Job, I'm just kind of cringing there. Some of the things that Job is saying. But it's okay. Job spent the better part of the book uh, asking God questions. It's okay to be honest. These biblical writers were. It's okay to be authentic. But then from that place of anguish, call out to God in faith. Some of us, we need to be honest with God, be honest with those in our peer group about where we really are in life. Because honestly, it's when we're honest with others that the support from our Christian family can come alongside us and build us up during those difficult times. The fourth thing is be affectionate. Be affectionate. And this is where uh, I'm going to hold my breath. I've moved it several times, and so... We made it. There we go. We're good to go. All right. I was really worried. I was worried about you up there. Going to get a nice water bath there in the front. Be affectionate. What I'm talking about is not in your relationship with your spouse, but rather your relationship with God. How you wait in life says a lot about how you're going to handle the next step in your life. For instance, we look at, at the life of David In the dead space in his life, he was constantly reflecting on God. He was constantly taking in the word of God. He was writing psalms about God. He was thanking God. He was praising God. He was worshiping God. Even when he was in his worst of circumstances, in a cave, hiding, uh, his wife had left him, Uh, his family was chasing him, he's hiding, the king of Israel is hiding, He, he writes these words. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You you give me fulfillment, ultimate fulfillment, even in the most difficult situations. I am able to take in, I'm able to, to feast on the word of God. David, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. And isn't it interesting, I I placed both of these sponges today. You are representative of a sponge today, all right? These are going to be our two individuals. And I placed these up on the platform at the exact same time. These are the exact same sponge, but the way they are waiting on this table is completely different. The one sponge is uh, immersed in water, and it has been soaking the water this entire time it's been in there. And you know what What happens is when uh, this person is waiting in life, they are in the dead space of life and they are taking in the Word of God. They are praying, they are expressing gratitude to God, they are thanking God, and even though they don't understand the circumstance that they are in, they are leaning wholeheartedly and trusting in God. And you know what, when that waiting period is over, and the pressure of life comes in their life, right, and uh, what's inside is revealed, to be Jesus. They've, the entire time while they were waiting, they were taking in Jesus, taking in Jesus, and when the pressure of life comes in Joseph's life, when those circumstances come, when he's tempted, why does love, kindness, affection for God, uh, ultimate, giving ultimate glory to God, why does it come out of his life? Because of how he was waiting Stuff like that doesn't, we don't just drift into that mentality. When the pressure of life comes into our life, what comes out is what was happening while we were waiting in our life. When the pressure of life comes, do people see Jesus in our life or are we just kind of indifferent? Are we just kind of waiting here? Uh, In fact, sometimes the way we wait, if you're like me, sometimes we can develop a heart of complaining. Where we begin to complain at others around us, we don't understand the situation we're in. And instead of leaning into God in this moment, we're not taking anything in. So when we leave that waiting stage and the pressure of life comes to our life, and we are squeezed and we're surprised at what comes out. Pastor uh, Tony Evans says, says it this way, is it? it he, he says, isn't it amazing? How, do you respond with cussing, fussing, complaining, and blaming instead? Or do you respond with Jesus? How are you waiting right now? I, are, are, I was uh, one of the pastors of the singles ministry. And my encouragement to uh, our singles was, "Do you know what? You're in this dead space right now, and I know everything within you is trying to find the one. Trying to find that next one in your life, right? And that's, that's kind of your soul's ambition right now. But I can encourage you to wait in the dead space, to pursue God, to become affectionate with God, to pray to God, to seek Him, to express gratitude. You want to know why those things come out of our life in the moment of the trial, because that is what you are feasting on when you wait. Maybe God has called you to a dead space in your life right now, a waiting period in your time. How are you waiting? Are you waiting patiently? Are you waiting confidently? Are you waiting affectionately are you waiting authentically if you respond like joseph responded to the feast where joseph feasted feast on christ feast on his word feast on gratitude towards god be affectionate in your relationship with god my question to you as we conclude today is how are you waiting are you waiting like the children of israel are you kind of anxiously awaiting that, that next step, going into the promised land? Are you frustrated? Are you confused? Are, are, are you disgruntled? Or are you choosing to feast on the Word of God? How are you waiting today? Let's close in a word of prayer. God, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for your word. God, and I pray that those things that uh, I wasn't clear on, God, you through your spirit would move in our lives, God, and you would uh, bring us to a place of uh, understanding, God, maybe it, it may not be the why of why you've led us to this place of waiting and suffering. But God, would you give us the strength, would you give us the wisdom to navigate it? God, I pray that in those midst of uh, the the things that we don't understand, that we would lean wholeheartedly into you, we would affectionately pursue you, God. God, in the midst of uh, the waiting, God, I pray that uh, you would move, you would allow your presence to be seen and known and felt in our lives. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the power that it has in our lives. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.